Welcome back to The Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about self-awareness and self-management. Frank won his position because of his expertise in an obscure accounting specialty. Initially, Frank's boss, Lynn, hoped that someday he would become the group leader. But less than four months after his arrival, that hope had died. Frank was so abrasive, Lynn had to take his two direct reports away from him in order to keep them from leaving the company. Early in our coaching, I became aware that Frank's versions of events rarely matched other people's versions of events. In his stories, he was the solitary voice of reason, fighting the good fight against the irrational whims of the department head. Everyone else's stories, from the executives to the administrative assistants, had Frank as an infuriating obstruction who had no idea how to be part of a team. When I reflected that gap in perception back to Frank, he maintained his position. He was right, and they were all clueless. When I asked him to consider how he might possibly have contributed even 5% to the situation, he repeated his version of the story, peppering it with emphatic words like appalling and stupid and insulting. If I suggested that he sounded passionate about a given situation, he would readily agree that indeed he did, and he would assert that he had every right to feel passionate about such a situation. But if I suggested that he sounded angry or upset about a situation, he'd deny it and assert that that wasn't the case at all. Frank was extremely low in self-awareness. When he denied being angry or upset, he wasn't pretending. He truly didn't know how he felt. He was unable to recognize his own emotions. Conversely, when people became upset with him, he was unable to see his part in that. He knew that people around him were often upset. That had followed him all his life. He just didn't believe that he was actively contributing to their upset. He believed that all the emotions swirling around him were like the weather or like time. It exists perpetually whether you're there or not. I understood that Lynn was desperate for Frank to learn how to manage his interpersonal relationships more effectively. But because he was so low in self-awareness, it seemed backwards to ask him to focus on repairing relationships with other people before he was able to have any sort of realistic relationship with himself. I felt he couldn't acquire interpersonal skills until he had gained some intrapersonal skills. During our sessions, I repeatedly reflected back to Frank how I experienced him. Gee, you seem pretty happy about that, I would say. Or, gee, you seem upset about that, I would say. If he would say no, I'd let it go, and then at some later time I'd say, Do you remember when I said you seemed upset? Can I tell you why I said that? And then I would describe what I had observed, that he had begun to frown, or his volume had suddenly increased, or he'd slapped the table, or he'd begun intense fidgeting. I took great care to sound accepting about whatever I was reporting. I wasn't criticizing, I was just reflecting back without judgment. It felt like a big breakthrough the day he said, without self-recrimination, I guess I was upset. Self-awareness 
was beginning. Mariana's story is quite different. Unlike Frank, Mariana was acutely aware of her feelings. She could not only describe them in detail, she could also describe the behaviors her feelings evoked and how those behaviors were upsetting everyone around her. What she couldn't do was stop the behaviors from happening. One example of many was this story she told about herself. We all try to keep our doors open, but it's created a nightmare, she told me. I can't work ten minutes without someone interrupting me. I can't get anything done. I usually put up with it for a while, but then... She shrugged her shoulders. Just the other day, this poor guy tapped on my door to get my attention. He did it quietly, like he was trying not to disturb me. But I just blew up at him. Even while I was yelling at him, I knew I shouldn't be, but I just couldn't stop myself. Well, there it was again, Mariana's story that she just couldn't control her behaviors. So I told Mariana about the marshmallow test. This widely celebrated experiment conducted in the early 1970s was the work of Stanford psychologist Walter Mischel. Preschool children were offered a marshmallow by an adult. The adult added that if the child could wait and not eat the marshmallow right away, she could have two marshmallows later. The adult would then exit the room on some pretext, leaving the kid alone with the marshmallow. Clearly, the experiment was measuring a child's ability to delay gratification and control his or her impulses. The results? Roughly three-quarters of the kids in the experiment were able to resist that tempting marshmallow in order to end up with two marshmallows later. By themselves, those results are pretty interesting, but here's the kicker. Fifteen years later... The kids who had not been able to defer their gratification were reported by their parents to have many more struggles than the ones who could wait. In addition, the kids who had been able to successfully control their impulses and defer their gratification had achieved significantly higher scores on the SAT college preparatory exam than the more impulsive kids. And that correlation was a more effective predictor than IQ, in other words, being smart wouldn't boost your SAT scores as much as being able to manage your impulses. I asked Mariana what she would suggest to a kid who was left alone in a room with a marshmallow. She brainstormed several strategies that were quite creative. One was that if a girl reached out with one hand to take the marshmallow she should imagine her other hand hitting a big buzzer that would blare and remind her to wait. I told her that to me, her inability to stop herself from yelling at the guy knocking on her door was like the kid's inability to resist eating one marshmallow too soon. She popped the metaphoric marshmallow into her mouth, meaning she let fly with her frustrations, before her other hand could hit the buzzer and stop her. She and I worked together to strengthen her ability to hit the buzzer. In other words, we were working on her ability to stay mindful of a reward larger than her feelings. She was learning to control her impulses. One day she reported to me, I felt myself getting angry, but I just didn't. It's not that my feelings went away. I was still plenty frustrated, but I didn't let my feelings out like I used to. 
self-management was beginning. Frank and Mariana each needed to develop one part of a two-skill cycle. First, self-awareness. It sounds like this. I guess I was upset. The second, self-management. It sounds like this. I felt frustrated, but I didn't act frustrated. In high-functioning individuals, these two skills work together in an endless cycle. Self-awareness, I know what I'm feeling or thinking or believing, followed immediately by self-management. My feelings or thoughts or beliefs don't drive my behaviors. I can choose how I act. There are many different ways to develop self-awareness and self-management skills in yourself and in others. Here's one simple exercise for each skill. The following exercise in self-awareness is meant to be practiced repeatedly over a long period of time. Set a timer to go off every 30 minutes. When it does, pause in whatever you're doing and ask yourself a three-quick-question inventory. First, what am I doing right now? Second, what feelings do I have right now? Third, what do I feel in my body right now? That's it. First, what am I doing right now? Second, what feelings do I have right now? Third, what do I feel in my body right now? The goal is to link whatever action you're performing, like creating a report or reviewing data or preparing them for a meeting, and link that to your emotional and physical sensations. So, for example, you might answer the three questions by saying to yourself, I'm building this spreadsheet for Joanna, and I'm feeling really annoyed and my shoulders are really tense. Whatever you report in the moment is fine. Don't judge yourself. Don't try to change your feelings. There are no bad feelings. You're just reporting. And however you are at any given moment is just data. You don't need to examine why you feel the way you feel. You're only interested in how you are at that moment. When you name your feelings, be specific. Don't settle for, I'm feeling all right, or I feel okay. No matter how subtle they are, you are having feelings. If you'd like some help naming your emotions, send us an email. I'll tell you how in a minute. Just ask for the feeling word grid. It lists words from strong to weak across a range of categories like fear, happiness, uncertainty, just to name a few. Done repeatedly, this exercise will strengthen your ability to recognize that your actions often affect your feelings, and your feelings often affect how you're acting. Over time, you may come to understandings like this. I often get agitated when I'm preparing for staff meetings. Not all the time, but often. That is self-awareness. Here's an exercise to help develop self-management skills. Imagine you're coaching a child who flunked the marshmallow test. What would you tell him or her? Then, imagine one situation when you would benefit from controlling your impulses. See if you can apply your own coaching to that situation. Don't expect immediate success. Improvement in the area of self-management is incremental. Your impulses are a long-standing habit. They have a big head start over your attempt to control them.
your ability to boost both your self-awareness and your self-management is crucial to achieving the look and sound of leadership. If you're interested in more self-management techniques, four other podcasts you might listen to are Act with Intention, How Behaviors Change, Lead from the Heart, Leadership and Self-Deception. Each of those podcasts, and all our others, can be found on the Essential Communications website, EssentialCom.com. That's EssentialCom with two M's dot com. If you want to send us an email and ask for the Feeling Word Grid, when you get to our website, every page has a button near the bottom that says Contact Us. Just click on that and ask for the Feeling Word Grid. If you'd like to listen to more podcasts, Go to our homepage, EssentialCom.com, click the navigation button marked Coaching Tips. That'll take you to an archive of all our podcasts. When you're there, you can search the archive by categories that interest you, and one of those categories is Managing Yourself. There are more than 50 tips in that category to help you think more deeply about ways to help yourself move towards your highest potential. From the website, You can also download every tip as a PDF to save for yourself or to forward to others. Our podcasts are also available through iTunes. Just search for The Look and Sound of Leadership. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.